Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today I am interviewing Kate and Grant Estrade, and they are with Laughing Buddha Nursery, which originally was a retail garden shop and since 2003, and now they have shifted to doing more regenerative pasture-based livestock. And the farm is located actually about 60 miles north of uh, New Orleans, and the shop is about six or eight miles from the city center. So again, a little bit of difference there, but they have been making it happen, and they're here to tell us how that how that works. Welcome. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Uh, well, Michael, I got to say, we met at uh, Jordan Green's, one of his pastured pig conferences yes. or, or seminars, and that was before that you had the podcast. And so I've been listening to your podcast uh, religiously and thank you for doing it. And you've been doing a great job. So it's been fun watching all that happen since I met you. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I remember that was a really fun um, experience. And, and Jordan, just how they have broken down pig production, they do a really good job with that. Yeah. And uh, it's good to see someone doing something, doing excellence in anything, but especially him because he's spent so many years perfecting that system. Absolutely. So. So talk to us a little bit about like, all right, you've been doing a little, a, a couple different things along the way, but how did you get started all the way back in the beginning? Well, in, um, in 2003, we opened up Laughing Buddha Nursery as a, as a retail garden store. A couple of years after that, we started getting into uh, manufacturing our own compost and, and uh, garden soil blends. Okay. And, you know, that was it. That was the business. And so we, we marched along with that for, um, for a while and um, we, I had ended up partnering with, a, um, with an aggregate sand company to grow out the composting business. And, you know, that, that went really well and we grew and everything was going fantastic. And I had an opportunity to sell my shares with it. My partners wanted to buy me out. So I went ahead and did that. And then at that time, we had already purchased 16 acres um, north of New Orleans for that, like, hey, one day thing or, or whatever, whatever, you know, whatever we were thinking. And so effectively, after I sold my shares, um, I was kind of out of the job. You know, we still had the retail store, but we were looking at doing something a little bit different. And uh, Kate was working full time at Tulane University. And so we had started just um, playing around up at the, the property. And I said, you know what, I, I think um, I think it's time to do the the farm project. And and to, to go back a little bit further, we had played around with having some chickens at the store. Uh, we had played around doing uh, guinea hogs. So we actually had like a boar and two sows at the store. So we were okay. doing hobby level uh, agriculture. And so we had gotten a little bit of a taste of that. And then, you know, so we, we decided to, to pivot and uh, to go for it. And so that's what we've been working on. And, uh, and I believe we're going into our fourth year of having uh, made that decision. Okay. Yeah. One thing he doesn't, I mean, it was sort of funny. We sold the breeding stock of those guinea hogs to a friend um, because we, we exceeded wanting to do it, you know, in the yard deep litter at the store. And so Grant tells this nice, like, you know, we made these decisions, um, but 
as soon as we bought the land, the friend who had had the breeding stock was like, Hey, do you want your pigs back? Like I can just <laughs> buy pigs from auction and raise them up. Like, I don't need to deal with this farrowing. Yeah. And then, you know, so it's like, sort of like that influenced it. And it's like, if Grant's already going to be going up there every other day to check on the pigs and their fence and their feeder and everything may as well have some laying hens and see how the aerial predation is. And then half of our original 16 acres is wooded. And so very quickly, it's like, well, what are we going to do with this overgrown mm-hmm. woody? And um, there was a lot of, you know, saplings and viney things and stuff. So then the third species was the goats. And it was like, one thing led to another. And it's like, well, we either need to like really do this or <laughs> yeah, not do it. You know, uh, we kind of got our foot feet wet. And then it was like, it's time to like, invest and, and really do it. And, and then we also were looking at restarting up the compost and garden soil operation on my own. And so, um, so we were, we're, we were doing that all at the same time. And so our, our, our current, the current state of our composting business and the farm operation, they're, they're literally like kind of growing up together, you know, from those uh, four years ago. So, and so now we're, we're full throttle, you know, doing both right now. All right. So how many acres do you manage now in total? So they, we had originally purchased 16 acres yep. and um, this past summer we did a deal on the 44 acres next to us. And we, we got into it was somebody who, you know, wanted to sell the property. They were having a hard time to sell. So we, we worked at a, uh, not a lease purchase, but a lease with the right to buy, you know, with a pre-negotiated yep. purchase price. And, um, and, you know, the, it's a 10 year lease, but the good faith deal was, Hey, I'm gonna try to buy this from you in like three years. And that's going to allow us to, um, you know, pay for the irrigation, pay for the fencing, you know, pay yeah. for the additional livestock. We can start cash flowing that property and actually pay the note on it. So, uh, so, so now we're operating on the 60 acres. Very nice. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, okay. So then everything's produced up there, brought down to the store. And then you also, with that store, you're bringing in from other farmers. So talk to us a little bit about the, how the store operates. Yeah, that's Kate's. Yep. Yeah. So that's what I do all day, every day. Um, so when we first started having product to sell, it was pork, pretty much like unseasoned pork cuts and eggs. And so we're like, well, we think that gardening customers, people who grow vegetables in their backyard are probably a good customer base to start with. So we put a freezer and a fridge to have those products available. Um, And then pretty quickly, I was like, well, I think we'd probably sell more and have an easier time like marketing and taking nice pictures and getting people to think of this as like a farmer's market stop or just Mm kind of using the framework that people already have when they're looking for local food if we had produce too so we started buying from another farm basically what they had in excess of their csa um and that i mean so of course we're making a margin on that we're not just doing it as charity but the main motivation was i think we'd sell more of our own products like variety begets more sales of everything and that really just like snowballed it proved to be true so much so we started with our pork and eggs, we did broilers for a little while. So we had our chicken, then we, we had the produce weekly. And then we started buying beef from another farmer before we had our own beef. Um, and now it's like 20 more, 20 plus producers with everything from dairy, still the chicken beef when we don't have our own beef, lamb, fermented vegetables, jams with local fruit, 
local bakers and pasta. We, you know, we produce rice here. Oh, wow. So we can, you know, so it's really yeah. cool to be able to start to add more and more local stuff to, to have a bigger chunk of, and the more of a one-stop shop you can make it, then the sales of our own products have just stayed like right on the growth that we mm -hmm. want them. And it's just like, there's something, there's like an integrity piece of it. If like you're asking people to buy local, it's like, well, we're putting our money where our mouth is and buying from yeah. producers. Um, so I think like psychologically with our sales, that's helped because we like feel like we are doing what we preach to. Yeah. Um, and we're just big fans of teaming up with other farmers because yeah. we think that, you know, we're like competing. We want to compete with like big box stores. We don't want to compete. Yeah other you know if we all team up we can make a lot bigger dent than you know just fighting yeah. for this small piece of the pie if we can grow the pie together instead of like fighting over the piece of the pie that exists yeah um, so that's been huge for us um and it's become just a huge part of our business model yeah i can imagine all right i'm gonna start asking some technical questions because i'm about to start my own store so <laughs> <Cool>. um <laughs> talk to me about the pos system you're using for to, to manage all the different uh, sales Sure. So we, and I'm a big believer in don't let the perfect get in the way of the good yep. and don't let like free, easy stuff, like stop you from starting. Uh -huh. um, so we were, Grant was already using Square uh -huh. POS for the retail garden shop. So we obviously just used that. And then when I started doing these delivery hubs, um, where, so we're in a, like Grant said, we're eight miles from downtown New Orleans. However, New Orleanians consider 15 minutes far. Yes. <laughs> and especially given like traffic flows. And so we're, you know, out where if, if you're coming out after work, if you're a working person, you're trying to get to us before six, like it's really not that far, but in their minds it is because of traffic. And so you just have to go with that and you gotta yeah. kind of bring it to them. So at the same time we started buying from other farms, we, um, started doing these drop points that a lot of farms do like neighborhood. And I would just market to the specific neighborhood. So back then, like 2016, I guess, no, I think I started in 17. I just used Google docs, like literally yeah. just Google docs. There's no inventory control, nothing. You know, you're just like deleting stuff as it sells out. And it was very <laughs> like labor intensive, but it worked and it didn't cost yeah. anything. And it allowed us to start. Um, and then, I mean, and I was sending blind copy emails as my email list grew to these different, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> but it worked. I mean, it got us to like yeah. where we are. And so then eventually I started using MailerLite to segment all my neighborhood lists and, you know, have mm -hmm. an actual more email platform. But we use Google Docs for way longer than I would have liked. And then eventually we um, got LocalLine and we actually have, we started using LocalLine um, or we bought it before, like, long before we ended up being able to implement it because by the time we implemented it, we had to input like, you know, like 200 products yeah. that are changing every week, like as new produce comes in and new stuff. So it was just a lot of, it has saved so much time and been fantastic since we finally got it going. But it was like, how do you stop your sales no matter how much busy work you're doing yeah. to like make that transition. So, um, so that was the challenge. So yeah, we use local line. It's just one catalog people, um, you know, see the, it's a public cart and then they just select their pickup day and their pickup location. Mm -hmm. And it's not perfect of like, 
you know, I really don't want people ordering that far in advance because we're getting new deliveries every day. And there's some yeah. farms that I trust of like, this is what I ordered. I can put it in the night before. And there's some that like sometimes show up without half the order. So I can't oh, put it in before yeah. I receive it. So I'm not then scrambling to tell all the customers, like we actually don't have butter or whatever. Um, so yeah. So, and then for walk-ups, you know, we'll still use square, but we just have to back out that inventory from local line. Yeah. Just a few clicks of like, they bought this and this back it out. Yeah. Um, because yeah. they have an integration now too. Don't uh, they do like they, yeah. they have Stripe and square that you, that's the backend credit card processor. Yeah. Um, but until a couple of weeks ago, your only options with a local line order were pay online in advance, yeah. um, pay cash or check. And I can mark it as paid, but you couldn't swipe in person. Which yeah. was weird. Like that was like weird yeah. for customers to be like, wait, why can't you take my car? Yes. You know, yeah. so so that so we had to buy this specific terminal. It's not just like this the swipe that you can plug into your phone or an iPad, but um then I can just send that sale to the terminal and swipe their card. Um and so gotcha. yeah, it was great. Yeah. Very cool. And then you're still using Merrill Light for all your emails. Yes. And we love them. Like I so recommend them. Their, their customer service is fantastic. Their analytics. Um, we finally have a, you know, um, pop-up like sign up for your email, which yep. neighborhood, like you can do that obviously with just your basic email list, but my, one of my staffers figured out how to have people sign up for the neighborhood they want, which is great. Cause it's like, if you're targeting them just for their location, yeah. you're less likely to make them feel like you're spamming them, which is sending them everything. Yeah. Um, and so that's been really nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We need to work better on our segmentation. Um, and it just hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> One right. thing at a time. And don't yes. let the perfect get in the way of the good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So talk to us a little. I'll start calling you in the middle of the night and telling you you need to work on that. Remind you. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> um, so talk to us a little bit about the compost, because that's something that's I, I find very fascinating. And it's something that building, doing good compost is hard to do. So talk to us a little bit about the process, what you put in that and kind of what's your your ingredients. Sure. Um, well, you know, the, and the, the backstory on that I like to tell is uh, when I, in high school, when I was 14, 15, I started working at a pet store. I got into raising snakes started raising my own rodents to feed the snakes. And then I started my first business, which was selling those rodents to the pet store, you know, that I worked. And um, it was a great experience because my dad was an accountant. So he helped me keep track of all the numbers. And so I, I remember getting my um, gross profit divided by hours I put in weekly. And I came up with how much I was making per hour doing mice and rats. And it was like triple what I was making at the pet store. Um, and so, but, but the waste product of that I threw into the corner, I started composting it. Now keep in mind, I didn't know what I was doing. And so it, it all broke down and, and I made my first vegetable garden from that. And that was like the coolest thing to see uh, getting production out of something, turning the waste product into another type of product, which was the garden, you know, the compost mm -hmm. the garden. And then I grew stuff. And this is all when I was like 15, you know, just keep, you know, keep in mind, I'm kind of doing this myself. And this is in the suburbs of the city. So, so that, that kind of got me hooked on the concept of, um, of composting. And so, you know, with opening up the retail garden shop, I was getting constant calls, you know, for, for bulk compost. And, and so that just one thing led to another. And, and so, um, you know, it turned into a, a really good business. Uh, we started, um, 
you know, I started just with a bobcat and we were getting horse stable sweepings. Uh, we we're composting that, mixing it with um, a bought, you know, bought in pine mulch, uh, pine bark to adjust the pH and, and then doing the blends. And then we, you know, we did that for a long time. Um, you know, with the, that partnership I said I had formed, they had the big toys in the property at the sand place. And, um, you know, we had 10 acres of windrows and, you know, we, I think at, at any point we had probably 80 to a hundred thousand cubic yards of organic matter, you know, different stages of composition. And, you know, that model was, you know, getting paid, you know, the tippage fee, you know, collecting it on the front end, composting, selling it, you know, kind mm -hmm. of and um it, it was uh yeah it was it was totally cool and we did a lot of big projects we were getting orders that were like twenty thousand yards of material things like wow. that so so that was that was quite a ride um and so now after having done that large-scale composting um you know we do it on a lower level now and so we're, we're back to just having a uh, track skid steer loader uh -huh. uh, we still you know buy in pine bark from another outfit uh, just because they've got the grinder and the big screeners and stuff like that. And then, you know, we're in a unique position. We deal with almost exclusively one company for our inbound waste material and it's coffee grounds. And it's a facility that does cold brew coffee. And so they produce about uh, an average of like eight to 10 tons of coffee grounds a week. And so, you know, yeah. you, so you, that's a lot. And, and we pick it up. We, you know, that, that material is so good. It's already a small particle size. Yeah. Which coffee grounds are just awesome. And so, you know, it's a quid pro quo. We, we pick it up and we don't charge them a tippage fee. Um, and so we, we use a hauler now to pick that up. So I use a hauler, they go pick it up. It comes in super sack totes and that's what we compost. Um, and then, then we get that, that compost. We will sell it as is but we'll also uh, put it into a, a mixed blend, you know, with pine bark that we buy in and we put other amendments in it, like worm castings and crab meal and stuff. Um, and then we also have the, the vermi composting, which is then we get that compost, feed it to the red wigglers. And then the two products from that, of course, the red wigglers that we sell the homeowners for their own worm bins. Uh, and then we sell the worm castings as well. Okay, so let's talk worms for a bit because you're doing that at scale. We are, we've been gearing up on that this past year, you know, it's, you know, doing the do, starting a soil business over again and starting a livestock farm has been crazy. You know, I don't necessarily recommend that to most people. We, you know, it's been quite a roller coaster. Doing luckily yeah. the worms have hung on. And yeah. by the way, it needs to be said. Um, so Grant started the store in 2003, and our first meeting was me going to his store as a customer to buy worms for my compost in 2010. Yeah. 2010 so right. the worms got neglected in the whole, yeah. you know, early uh, farm years, but they hung on and they're yeah. back up to production. The, the friendships that I've, I've made for the worms has been unbelievable, Michael. Yeah. So just on that, it's worth it. You know, <laughs> I wish I had done this podcast before I came down because I would have figured out how to get myself to see the worms. Um, <laughs> yeah, you see, you wouldn't have come to see us. It would have been, it's all about the worms. Worms. Yes, oh, yes. Yes. You know, I know we've only been talking online for like 10 years, but I'm yeah, right. five years. Yeah. I want to come see your worms. Yeah, exactly. All right. And now that you really know about the worms. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. yeah, you got to dive into these worms for me. Yeah. So we're starting to do it at scale. So um, right now we're doing batches. So we basically okay. get um, one cubic yard of compost that's already gone through initial breakdown. It's gone through its heat cycle. So it's not going to put up any more heat. And then we, we inoculate it um, with, with a, a bed run portion of worms, which is going to be eggs, baby worms, juvenile worms, adult mm -hmm. breed worms. 
and we put that in there and then we just let them do their thing. Right now we're letting them um, be in there for about four months. Okay. Change seasonally. Um, and at that point, the, so the bags are say 24 inches deep, pretty much the top 16 inches is going to be very active with worms. Um, and so that's been working out for us very well. And so, and then we, um, after we kind of determine that the worm population has grown significantly um, and they've gone through the material, um, then we'll go ahead and then we screen it. So we've got a, a you know, trommel screen and then we'll pass that through a, a quarter inch mesh. So the, our worm castings are anything quarter inch minus. Um, and then everything that drops through the screen is going to be castings. And then everything that goes out the end is going to be all the overs. It's going to be all the big chunks of mulch that we have mixed into mm -hmm. that bedding along with all the adult worms. And so, and then we'll get all that together and then we'll re-inoculate new beds with it. Gotcha. Uh, get so you, you lose all your eggs and babies into the finished worm from worm, worm, worm compost. Yeah, we do. Yeah. When we do that initial screen, we know that that's happening. A lot of folks will screen at eighth of an inch. Okay. It's just, you, you, you end up having to screen it a couple of times, you know, yeah. so the labor on it is, is much more difficult. And so, and also, you know, when the customers buy those worm castings from us, you know, they might be in a bag for a couple of months, you know, we'll store them in super sack totes or we'll bag them in the cubic foot bags. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole time that that's happening, there are live worms in there, you know, not a lot, but there's some, so that, that kind of tells me that there's still healthy biological activity that mm -hmm. ends up giving the customer just a really good worm casting product. And so I'm, I'm okay with that. So that the quality of the, the casting coupled with the, the minimum labor, you know, yeah. do, you know, it just, it just makes sense to do it that way. Okay. So is this in super sacks that you're doing this? You're putting the yard in there then putting the, well, what yeah. kind of bags? So, are you, okay. So right now, just this past year, we actually started using the super sack totes to, uh, to raise the worms in for the uh, vermicomposting. Yeah. And for the worms that we raise, where we actually harvest the worms for sale, you know, we use trash cans or drums or whatever, you know, because the, um, you know, that type of container creates anaerobic bottom and sides. And so the worms truly stay at the top of those vessels. And so when we go to harvest the worms for sale, all those worms are right at the top. And so they're gotcha. really easy to pull out and then we'll sell those in, um, in like four gallon bed run portions. And so, so we have a vermiculture system that we're, that we're doing. And then, then we've got the more of the vermicomposting system that we're doing. And is all that being done under shade? Yeah. So right now we've got enough trees to where we're all natural canopy uh, okay. in any shade houses. But if anybody wanted to do something like that, just like it's just as easy as it is to throw up a greenhouse, you can throw up a shade house and that works out real well. And so that natural tree canopy keeps it cooler than the shade house. And so, um, so that's what we're doing right now. Very cool. Yeah. All right. That kind of gives me an overview. I've, we really want to do that here because we obviously have all the mushroom blocks and I hear that the worms love the mushroom blocks, all the mycelium. So love to be able yeah, to kind of set really, that up. Yeah. That's a big indicator. So that compost that we're feeding them, the reason that I use hardwood mulch as the, the fluffing material mm -hmm. is because it's so fungally active, you know, pine bark or, you know, doesn't really grow, you know, um, mm -hmm. fungus like hardwood does. And so we look at to make sure that there's a healthy, you know, my, you know, not, not necessarily mycorrhizal or anything, but just a healthy mycelial growth in there because that is a huge food supply for the worms and they, they'll blow through those worm blocks for you for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's a great composting thing for a farm to do because the, you, you know, just like you, you've got the tractor, you know, we, we've got a small tractor that we use as a, um, a little 25 horse 79 Yanmar that we use for like more of a farm vehicle to pull tractors and stuff, you know, but having the Bobcat there, you know, we use the Bobcat for the composting, for blending soil, for putting out hay, for digging the ditches and the swales. I mean, it's just, you know, we use it for everything. Uh, so we have the equipment already. Um, and, and so that's one of the biggest things that you need to do the, the worm farming. You don't need mm-hmm. shredder, shredders and grinders and, and a, a real capital intensive equipment to get started in something like vermicomposting. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. That's, that's really easy. I could definitely get that set up here and I've got enough woods that I can make it happen. We don't have a lot. It's a very valuable space, but yeah, I can make it happen. All right. So you guys got a lot to manage. I mean, that's, um, and then especially because they're so far apart, what's your split between like up at the farm and then down near the, at the store? So Grant kind of manages the farm and the, the staffers that we have at the farm. Yeah. And then I manage the store. And so, you know, I really, someday I'll get to where I'm not going in as much. Uh, <laughs> but right now I pretty much like we're open Tuesday through Saturday yeah. and I'm pretty much going in Tuesday through Friday minimum, sometimes Saturday too. Mm-hmm. Um, but our egg washers at the farm and the way that I staff the store now, it's like, I'm not, I try not to be like in a rush in the morning. So if we're kidding, I can go check the, you know, the yeah. kids barrowing, I can check the sows and like do my thing that I, you know, is my role. <laughs> and I, but I don't, you know, I don't do chores or anything really make sure that between me and the farmhand, we get the eggs washed that we need for the day. And then um, I'm usually at the store till close and then come back. Um, so, I mean, it's like a, it is a trek. Um, but I don't know, that's just the way it is right now. And then Grant, um, he can talk about this, but he'll come in for soil deliveries, but he's more managing the staffers. And there's mm-hmm. some days where he's, you know, solo at the farm still. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I The hour and 10 minute drive, it, it blows my mind because literally our retail store will be 10 seconds <laughs> across the street. So, but uh, yeah. Right. I mean, the goal is that we're getting, we're training. Like I used to do all the delivery hubs myself pre-COVID. Yeah. So I was, again, still coming in much later in the day and then having my staff pack up the orders. Sometimes I'm helping them depending on our staffing, sometimes not. And then driving off with the truck with the coolers. And for the early years, um, and I still feel this way to some degree, like we have this unfair advantage of already having an established business that we've paid taxes on and everything in a yeah. area. Um, and so in the early years, like being like having that close relationship with your customers is invaluable and getting mm-hmm. the feedback and being the face of it for them. Um, so now I do have someone who does the delivery hubs on kind of a little commission we're going to be talking to someone about home deliveries, like separate companies. Um, so, you know, outsourcing that, um, but yeah, it's just like the nature of it. I don't think our sales would be where they were if we didn't have this presence in the metro area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like a trade-off of um, getting to where we want to be sales-wise. And then, you know, the more that we establish the systems and what do you do when this goes wrong, XYZ had these protocols, then I can hire someone, you know, at a higher mm-hmm. rate and trust them to, to manage yes. the store and I can be doing more things like from the farm, but. Um. Absolutely. It's all about those stages in the business. Yes. For sure, for yes. sure. And you know, with the back and forth, we're pretty cognizant of uh, 
you know, a go loaded, come loaded, you know, mantra. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of errands are run, you know, in between the store and the shop, you know, grocery nice. store, hardware store, you know, fuel for the farm. Um, I don't go into town and uh, typically unless I have a soil delivery and then, you know, we charge a delivery fee on top of the soil. So, so we try to work all that in as, as much as possible. So we, even though it, it may not sound as efficient, it, it really turns out to be, I think, an efficient use of our time. And then little perks like um, our rental freezer is like literally four miles from our retail store. In oh, nice. So, you know, we've got pallets of products stored in their deep freeze and it's nothing for Kate to go run down there and have them pull the pallet so she can restock the store. So there's definitely... Uh, some really nice things about having that store in the city for sure. And we did look at, I mean, we have thought about selling it and trying to do the operation all from the farm, but one major challenge, the way the model has grown is like, you know, would all these other farms deliver to us Mm -hmm. um, up there and, you know, and then you just still have the drive time for the delivery hubs and stuff. So having the like it is what it is for right now. Yeah, because they have other other places they sell to, and then also restaurants in New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans tons of restaurants, right? And so those farms that are selling us, you know, a couple of cases of whatever produce, they're already coming into town. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Drop off to them, uh, us is nothing, but to ask them to come out to where the farm is located, that that's going to be a dedicated trip for them. And yeah, they, they wouldn't be able to do it. You know? Yeah, well, then there's nothing like being in the middle of everything. They, yeah. yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah. So how do you keep track of, do you have any uh, like task management system or how do you make sure you focus on what's most important? I'll go first and Grant has some thoughts too, but I will say um, there's nothing like (laughs) uh, just needing to focus on the right thing to force you to like sell. Like we have to sell stuff to keep going. And so I just compare it to, my last job, I was a fundraiser for a major university and just summoning the motivation. Like I would, you know, just like think myself into circles of like workflow. And, and really it was just like, my heart wasn't in it. And yeah. so now that it's like, this is our business, we need to sell stuff to survive. It's amazing. Like how, of course you can still get bogged down in the weeds, but uh-huh. um, I personally just have my things that I have to do every day. Like on Mondays, I have to send the email for the week of like this and, you know, communicate with all the other vendors um, of what we're getting in the next day. And then later in the week, as the other ones approach, I like, I have to do that, you know, and, and we have to pack all the orders for the day. Like we have to fulfill those things. And then everything else is like, if there is time. Mm -hmm. Um, So um you know, and so I just use something where I just use notes in my phone for my running mm-hmm. list. Um, mm-hmm. Or I set reminders of things that are like minor one-time things, but I can't forget like to pay this or do yeah. that or whatever. Um, and then Grant, I mean, Grant is one of the best prioritizers that I know. Like he's very good at, and he can talk about his methods of like seeing the long-term and seeing the big picture and not getting overwhelmed of like, oh God, it's pouring rain and we really should move this or that. And, you know, he can sort of see the long term and, um, why don't you talk about how you do that? (laughs) (laughs) You're better at it than me. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm a goal setting, like, you know, junkie, you know, it's all I think Mm -hmm. about. Um, as somebody said in the past, you know, I have a goal when I go to the bathroom, (laughs) um, 
So yeah, so that's how I think. Three um, pages of Stockman Grass Farmer. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, Stephen Covey and a lot of stuff that he has. And he's got that little diagram of yeah. you know, urgent, not urgent, important, not important. And, you know, you cross those together, you know, so if it's not important and it's not urgent, then it, it, it has to go to the end of the list, you know, yeah. I mean, how, however emotional it is or not, like you, you have to prioritize. And a lot of that stuff is, is discipline, you know, based, but, um, you know, but at the farm on the farm set on the farm side and just, and just for everybody knows what we're dealing with every day. Uh, right now we've got three flocks of 400 birds. So we've got 1200 layers, you know, we're farrow to finish on the hogs. We've got 24 sows. Uh, we're also selling piglets to other farms as well as finishing for our own sales. Um, we've got a breeding herd of meat goats you know, with about 25 nannies or so. Um, and then we're finishing uh, about, we've got 12 head of beef at the farm right now. Uh, and then, you know, like the pigs, we want to finish like 200 pigs a year. The birds, we're happy at the 1200 right now. Um, you know, the beef, we want to finish like 24 beef um, a year and sell that. And this is all direct retail sales. So we're not, we're not selling holes and halves. I mean, we're selling pork chops and one pound, you know, packs of sausage type of deal. And then we've got the garden soil, you know, and all that business on top of it. So, so right now, you know, we're starting to get into a really nice flow. Um, we've got regular staff at the store. And so right now it's pretty much, you know, you know, from start time at 730 in the morning to about 1130 is going to be chores, you know, there's lunch and then there's the special project, you know, and so mm -hmm. a lot of that may be bagging the compost and garden soil into cubic foot bags. We do have a mixer blender, you know, bagging machine. And so we may end up, you know, running bags for two hours and then uh, doing the evening chores, which is pretty much, um, um, you know, laying, collecting all the eggs at the end of the day, you know, on all three flocks. And so that's pretty much an everyday seven days a week, you know, kind of a deal um, with that. And then when I've got staff at the store at the farm, I, I'm sorry, when I've got staff at the farm, um, I plan out my days pretty strategically on like what I need to do. And, you know, right now we're still doing construction. So I'm still putting a water line and you know, doing the, doing the fencing and stuff like, you know, like that. So when I've got staff at the store, we have a morning meeting, we've got a board, you know, I got a map of the farm. We kind of have a brief meeting in the morning. This is the task list. This is what to look out for. This is what we did yesterday. Give them a heads up on that. And then they roll and then I roll and then we'll keep in touch throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and so we're finally starting to get into that, that fixed everyday pattern at the farm for sure. So. Yeah. And then for all the little things, do you like to keep whiteboards or just running lists as well? Yeah. So right now we're doing a whiteboard. So we, so I've got, if you can imagine a whiteboard with different graphs, like uh, Monday through Sunday, and then on the left, you know, column, you've got, um, you know, pigs, layers, goats, worms. Mm -hmm. And so we can say, okay, um, is there, is there a worm chore that we need to do on Tuesday? And so we're trying to break that whole week down into days, times, and by, um, you know, different animal or different stock. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So that's a big whiteboard that's in the barn um, that we're doing, you know, um, another whiteboard, like I said, has a map of the farm, you know, and just this morning, I wrote all the butcher dates that we have lined up for the, for the next, you know, so I've got all of our beef dates when we need to load, our pork dates when we need to load. Um, and then, um, we haven't written it down yet. We usually communicate by text on the egg. So we're washing, cause we've got the, we've got the egg washer. We can kind of like 
put things off a little bit. So we're washing to what we're going to use for that day. And so, you know, when, when staff comes in at seven 30, we make that the first task is to mm. walk the eggs for that day. We'll shoot them a quick text and be like, Hey, we need, uh, you know, you know, 60 dozen in flats for our bakeries that we sell to. And then we need like 40 dozen in, in retail cartons. And so that's, yeah. what, that's just a quick text depending. And then we do that on the fly because we don't know what the orders are, are bringing in, you know, from, um, uh, from local line. So that's, that's on the fly as well. So a lot of communication throughout mm-hmm. the day with all parties involved for sure. Okay. So then are you, um, you, you store the eggs dirty. So they stay, stay the longest and then you just wash and do you wash, uh, with a machine or is it by hand? Yeah. So we're, uh, so when we collect, we use milk crates with the plastic, you know, stackable, yep. you know, egg trays, right. So we collect directly into those. They go into a, you know, old reefer box. I salvaged for a couple hundred bucks. It's got a window unit in it, you know, with mm-hmm. shelf. And but so, not a cool bot. We just keep it like 65, not like, right. not like a- Just to get like the field heat off of it and keep them, yeah, you know, the elements all that kind of stuff. And then um, we did purchase a power scrub egg washer. Um, I think we got that in this fall. And yeah, in June. June. Oh, June. Okay. So last summer we got it in and it is like- you know, it's, I'm in love with Life that changing. thing, right? <laughs> is that the one that I saw at Polyface? It is. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. that and was mind blowing just how efficient that was. And you could, one person could run it very easily. And yeah. I was like, yeah, Will sold. did like our farmhand did 45 dozen in like an hour 20 or something. Yeah. By yeah. And, and if you really yeah. want to crank the eggs, Michael, you could have four people working on that machine. I mean, I mean you could have, it's got enough, yeah. we, we set it up to where, um, we can rock it if like pre rinse someone pre rinsing someone loading two yeah people cartoning you yeah. know that kind of thing yeah after we get this retail store going we build out this farm we're gonna buy the farm next door which is eight acres and then after that we're gonna buy like a multi hundred acre pasture based farm so I mean well, yeah my wife is she shakes her head, head but <laughs> I'm yeah. like but I know what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can see it now. Yes, but yeah, we'll hire my uh, my hopefully hire my brother back here from he's out in um, Oklahoma, but hire him back to manage that because he loves animals and then yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you'll be in the same scenario, kind of. We, I mean, you'll have your store right there in the mm-hmm. town area, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a real smart thing to do. Yeah, well, that's the first store because I mean, then we're gonna have second store, third store, fourth store. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, World well, domination. <laughs> yeah, we'll be looking for your your franchise rights when they come available in Louisiana for sure. Yeah, I can give you guys first access. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. Yeah, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about farming's tough. What is what would you say the hardest part of being a farmer is? What's the hardest thing you have done while farming? Okay, do you wanna? So mine's going to be really different from Grant. I think mine is to do with just animal more losses, you Mm. know? Um, I mean, it's one thing, it's like one set of feelings to get them to fulfill their destiny and Uh and stuff like that. And that is a difficult set of feelings that I like embrace. And I think Uh that our society is like lacking in those connections. And even though it can be hard, like it's good for us to face that. Um, But I think, the way that I was exposed to the idea of regenerative farming and stuff, it, it can be so idyllic that you're like, if you just get them outside and off of the drugs and on good feed and rotationally grazing, like 
there will be no issues. Yeah. <laughs> like you're solving all their like health issues. And I mean, that seems so naive now. And of course I didn't think that was like a hundred percent. Yeah. But I think the reality of um, like when a tomato, somebody who's growing tomatoes, like loses these beautiful ripe tomatoes to like a fluke hailstorm, mm-hmm. like you're going to feel frustrated and you lost financially, but you don't feel like guilt that you did wrong by the tomato, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. for me, that's been like a huge learning curve of like, um, and what are the lines that, you know, like how much intervention do we believe in if the breeding stock? It's different than just the stalkers because mm-hmm. the silver lining of somebody, some animal that doesn't do well in your program that dies before you can call them, you know, is that they, I mean, they called themselves and they, mm-hmm. they took out some genetics that weren't ideal for your program. Um, but yeah, so for me, that's been like one of the, and I think I've come a long way, but, um, and we're also seeing like the benefits of our choices a couple years in, mm-hmm. you know, just the resilience and the, um, we don't worm our goats regular. Like we have no one on a regular pharmaceutical regimen and for the goats on wormers, that's like one of the yeah. most difficult, um, but you know, let, letting some of them go calling hard, we have really tough, like resilient stock now. And so that's, that helps. Um, but there's always some unforeseen issue that could be hard. So I think that for me, and then um, Grant may talk about this more, but just the, like, you know, the financial risk and um, kind of going all in and, uh, and also working with your spouse and <laughs> it oh, can be very fun. intense. Like the whole thing can be super intense, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. What would you say? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when we tell people that we're doing this and they say it's, Oh, farming is hard. I, I do push back on that because, you know, any, any goal that you set for yourself, I don't care what it is. If you're going to be an attorney or a doctor or open up a store selling flip-flops, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if you say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I want to be good at it. Whatever that is, is going to be hard. You know, I mean that there's no such thing as like an easy, mm-hmm. uh, an, an easy achievable goal. And, and so, I mean, if you tell, you know, if you go up to a nurse and you say, Hey, you're, I'm a farmer. I, my job is hard. Your, your, you know, your job is easy. I mean, just like, you know, get ready to run away from them, you know, like they're going to. And so, so I really think that, you know, you need to go into whenever, whenever you go into a new endeavor and do something like this, you need to understand that being hard is, is part of it. So don't be surprised that it's hard if, if that makes sense. And so, mm-hmm. So, so knowing that it's going to be difficult is very, very important. The folks that, I, that tell me, oh, it's so hard. And I'm like, well, did you think it was going to be easy? You know, like who, who, you know, who, who told you that any of the stuff was going to be easy? I, I think that that might be, you know, just a, a misnomer or some, some made up thing that people kind of get themselves into. And so, you know, but the benefit of that is you, it's, then you achieve and then you feel really good about yourself and that's when you're accomplished and things of that nature. So, so I, I, I mean, I don't want to, I, I don't want to make it seem like farming is easy, but I also want to make sure that everybody knows that, you know, whatever else you may be doing is also not easy. And so, uh, so that's something to kind of keep in mind and, you know, that will mentally kind of keep you um, your perspective set, you know, you're not going to get into, Oh my God, it's so hard. And I got to quit, you know, because, mm-hmm anything that you try to do, of course, is going to be hard and not quitting is going to be the the hard part, you know, so, or no. just hard in different ways. Like for me, I would choose this hard to like 
the nine to five um, struggling to have motivation. Cause I just think mm-hmm. that that is such a human, a horrible thing to feel as a human, you know, like trying to summon some energy to do something you don't want to do. Yeah. Make six more sales calls. Yeah. yeah and, and just after, for why. Yeah, and that like, goes into knowing yourself too. I mean, you know, like I love the fact that farming is a physical job. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, when, when I hit the couch, you know, in the evening, I mean, you're like, you've been mentally challenged the whole time. That feels great. You've been physically challenged and that makes your body feel strong and feels good. And so it's, you, you kind of are hitting all the, the really cool things that makes you feel really good during the day. Yeah. Because for me working a nine to five in an office, is just about as, as, as just like would be like torture for me. I mean, I, I'd <laughs> yeah. come at six o'clock and I would be like, just mentally exhausted. I wouldn't even be able to function, you know, and I know that about myself. And so I, I enjoy the, okay, I got to go run fencing for the next four hours this afternoon. And when I'm done, I'm going to go eat a big dinner, you know, that, that's yeah. a really cool afternoon, you know? So, um, but, but having, having, you know, said all of that, um, you know, there are obviously challenges um, and, you know, the financial challenge is very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, Kate, you know, Kate kind of came in, this was kind of Kate's first, you know, business venture. And so she's going yeah. through all that stuff. And, you know, I'll share with you that during the recession, I had to, I had to sell my house and move back in with my parents. You know, I mean, I had, I had the retail store open for five years. I had bought a house, you know, things were like looking cool. And then like, bam, you know, I had to, you know, I had to, I had two Bobcats, you know, I had to re, I literally loaded it and returned it to the dealer, you know, and turned it back in. And then I was able to keep one. I had to, you know, and then I, I sold my, you know, I dumped the house and moved back in with my parents, which I don't recommend any adult, you know, to move, ever move back in with their parents. And, uh, and so that was a challenge. And so, yeah, it was, it was a total nightmare. And so um, you will go through, you know, those cycles and that's part of it that, you know, going through those challenges and cycles of having a business. And so, you know, it's a total roller coaster now. And yeah. And, and as you know, with COVID, there's been a boon for direct to consumer farms and we were set up for it. We were already doing the pre-orders and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, my deal is that we have to assume that those sales were a flash in the pan and we can't count on that happening again this year. And so we're doing a lot of work to make sure uh-huh. that, you know, we're getting new customers that we're keeping in touch with existing customers. And so we're working our plan as if the COVID sales boom never did happen. And so, you know, you need to, you know, you really need to stay, uh, stay attuned to all that stuff for sure. Yeah. I'm already seeing some folks saying that they're from the COVID bump, they're back down 50%. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we'll see. I mean, my hope is that if we've opened up a whole brand new uh, category for new customers and we made it super simple for people with the home delivery now. And so that will increase the sales, but I'm also cognizant that people are going to go back to convenience. Yeah, for sure. And then we're, that's, and Kate mentioned, we're talking with a, a, a contract company to do our home deliveries. We'll be meeting with them, you know, this upcoming Sunday afternoon. And um, yeah, we have to make those moves. You know, we, we have to do that because we need to make sure that, um, that we're offering a convenient product. You know, we, we need to do, you know, the opposite of people going out of their way. I mean, we really need to bring these products to them because let's face it, the future of retail and commerce is, you know, people ordering through an app or through a website. Uh-huh. 
that's Grubhub. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that is, that's the trend and you know, you, you can't fight that. You just have to roll with it for sure. Yeah. How can we make it so that basically we can text our customers a link when the, the, the store is open, they click on it. They don't have to log in. It already knows who they are. They can just click one click checkout and it shows up in their door 24 hours or 48 hours later. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And, and, but you know, but then you also, you also need to go heavier on normal communication as well. I mean, so, yeah. you know, calling customers, you know, uh, leaving notes, um, you know, uh, Kate has more interaction with the customers these days, but telling them, Hey, we really appreciate your business. You know, you've been an important customer to us and really communicating with your customers on a human level as well. I mean, we can't, we can't ever give that up. That's always going to be important no matter what the technology is. And that's how you can beat out any scaled company because they cannot do the type of personal interaction that we can. Totally. And it's you, it's genuine. It's like, sometimes I just have this wave of like, wow, this person has been buying from us Uh in and week out for years at this point. And they kind of have to go out of their way. Like it's not normal to, you know, walking into a grocery store. And so they obviously are getting a good product, I hope. And that's why they come back, but taking the time to be like, Hey, like, today was a little bit of a rough day and I saw your order come in and it just means so much. And I know you're getting a good product, but like, I hope you understand like how much we appreciate Uh it, you know, and just just saying that regardless of their response Uh is huge for your mindset and just going at it from a perspective of gratitude, I think is really cool. Uh Yeah. Like there's no one at Whole Foods that could pull that off yeah. because it doesn't matter to them. You know, yeah. like the individuals that are fulfilling the orders. Yeah. So. yeah. We actually, every once in a while, we'll get a pizza from Whole Foods just because their actual pizzas are not bad. Yeah. They're pretty, they're yeah. pretty good pizzas. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, this last time, up until this last time, there was this guy that was working there. And literally I was trying to figure out every way how I could hire him because he was so good. <laughs> but last time he wasn't there and it was another guy. And you could tell the guy just literally didn't care. The pizza was burnt. You know, the service yeah. was bad. You're right. It's just a job. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, and I feel like if I was spending a lot of money with a company, like a small company, if I, if they said that to me, I mean, that's amazing. Like, that's exactly what you want. Cause you yeah. are doing it because of the product hopefully is the main reason, but you're buying into the story and the, as well, and what the product kind of represents. And so to be seen and to be thanked and for that is, um, I would hope like a big deal to them. Oh so. yeah, we, you know we're we're uh, so I'll give we're we're getting feed from a non-GMO feed company in Georgia, Rasaka Sun Feed. They've been fantastic, and um, the delivery guy is great. And he came to deliver at the farm the other day, and he was wearing like a brand new hat that obviously they had made. And I go, "Hey, where's my hat?" And he goes, "Oh, yours is in the truck." <laughs> and I, I, was, I, uh, I was joking with him, you know, but like, yeah, okay, they thought about bringing me a hat you know, that's a typical sales, you know, men kind of thing to do. Um, and I was just kind of joshing a little bit on that, but yeah, I mean, that, that makes me feel good. They got, they remembered to bring me a hat. That was pretty cool. So, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to make, to make people feel appreciated and happy. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 And it's those little things, like how can you build those little things into your systems and make it really easy and make it happen more frequently? Totally. I pulled a report. I haven't really fulfilled like all of it yet, but I just, at the end of the year, I pulled a report of our top customers and um, 
it really wasn't super surprising who they were because uh-huh. it's like week in, week out. And I know them and already feel this sense of appreciation. But for some of them seeing the totals, I was like, yeah, you know, so I would like to like have some kind of one of my goals this year is have some kind of built in like customer appreciation. Um, and I, you know, I got a little hung up on like, should I make them a gift, like a food gift that we can't sell, like render them some lard or like, uh-huh. I got a little like, you know, tied up in the what? And I'm like, no, actually I think it's just telling them yeah. whether it's like a handwritten note or an out of the blue text or something like, cause that really the sentiment I think is more important than yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, or just giving like a lot of them, I just end up giving them something they buy frequently, like as a bonus, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but yeah, but I would love that. And I would love to know more people that are doing stuff like that. Cause I think like really taking care of your top customer base, um, you know, they can go from being really happy with your product themselves and continuing to buy to like preaching the gospel of your business, yeah. to their friends and stuff. Yeah. Um, and the flip side too, though, is if those people that are spending a lot of money with you ever feel like you take them for granted, they yeah. can turn into the quickest detractors yeah. um, and they can just, you know, go back and go to somebody else or, and just now start. I had that experience with a, a company that we actually worked really, really closely with. It's, I mean, I was doing a lot for them. This was in the early stages of our online company here. And I was going above and beyond. I mean, the things I was doing was crazy. And they basically just was like, treated me like I, I didn't matter. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, I basically went from their biggest proponent to, oh, don't work at that company. They're not very good. Yeah. Right. I totally. mean, I would, yeah. And I was the guy singing their pays, their praises. So yeah. totally. You got, you got to know who your cheerleaders are and take yeah. care of them. Um, and, you know, to that note, our top customer sales wise, like sometimes you got to Like, we're not a, like the customer is always right. Yeah. I, you know, like, cause sometimes yeah. you just really run into issues and can get pushed around. But within reason, sometimes you just have to, even though you know you're right, you're going to let them be right because uh-huh. like, I would not want to lose them as a customer. So there was some like discrepancy of whether they got, they, you know, huge meat order and staff were loaded into their car, whether they got beef bones, um, you know, it was like $30 worth or something. And they were convinced that they didn't, the staff are, this was weeks later, staffers convinced that they did. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to refund them because like, I don't want to make an issue of this when they're spending what they're spending and they're such mm-hmm. lovely people and they're not like doing this because they're trying to pull one over. They genuinely like yeah. misplaced them or, yes. or we yeah. were wrong. Like I, you know, it was so- There's always that chance. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, if they're worth it, like you just can eat that and it's okay. Um, yeah. For yeah. Sure. With that, I'd like to stop and take a quick break. In a minute, we'll be back with Grant and Kate. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. I am back with Grant and Kate from Laughing Buddha Nursery. All right, so talk to me about, let's say there's a magic reset button. You could go back to the beginning of your business and do something different. What would you do different? 
Well, we we talked about this last night. I think this is actually a really great example. Initially, Grant, we didn't put any perimeter fence in. And initially, Grant, his reaction to thinking about this question was, oh, yeah, I would definitely go back and, and do the perimeter fence first, make life easier, have cattle, like, and, f- you know, feel more. But then, then a few minutes later, he pointed out, but it's like, we didn't know if it was going to work. And so there's something to be said for going at it a little bit gradually so that you don't lose all, your, you know, it's like this, we got no traction, we, you know, you know, so it's like, we had a hard time kind of thinking, okay, what would we have done differently? Because obviously in hindsight, knowing that the business model is working and we've got this sales growth that we like and things are going good, um, we would spend less time like trying to get net fencing in the woods and just clear laneways and put perimeter fence up. But there's like such an upfront infrastructure expense Mm -hmm. to that, that it's like, then you have this fence and what are you going to do? Sell the fence with the property or something? It doesn't work out. So yeah. um, Yeah. Do you have any more thoughts on that since we talked about it? Yeah. There's been like little things like, you know, I shouldn't have bought that ATV. I should have bought that little tractor right in the beginning, you know? So there, I think there are some equip, some small equipment purchases that were probably, you know, kind of dumb because I didn't know what Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, kind of a thing. And like I said, we didn't, we never, Michael, we never planned on it, you know, scaling. I mean, right now we're, I'm not going to say what our gross revenue is, but we're in the, you know, the multiple six figure, you know, realm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we didn't know if it was going to scale to this. So yeah, we were playing it kind of safe with our, with some of our initial investments, uh, with what we were doing. Um, but I, I think if we really had to like put our finger on it, something tangible, I think we would have started with working with other farms earlier. I, I think um, understanding the value of our brick and mortar retail location, I think maybe we should have started turning that into more of a little grocery store before, like a little bit earlier. Yeah. And, and I remember, I remember Kate had had brought a case of like uh, pickled vegetables, and and I'm like what is this? You know, in case like, I'm gonna try to resell them. And I'm like, ah, don't worry about doing that. You know, and I was, I was kind of like poo-pooing her idea a little bit, of course, which I was totally wrong, 110%. Um, And so I think we should have done that earlier is something that, that I would have liked to have seen. And, um, and I love team, I love working with other companies and I've made the most money professionally in my life when I have teamed up with other people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I forget that 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 really is the way to, to, do, to do business. Um, so yeah, I think- And I think, yeah, that's actually probably pretty good advice just in general with farms because it's like if you, the marketing is so huge. And so it's like, if you can't sell, don't start producing. Like, you know, it's like a lot of times people get their production up before they really yeah. have the sales to match it. And then they run into trouble of having too much stuff. Um, and- the other thing that I found is um, I'm very proud of our practices and what we do, but you just inherently are going to not want to toot your own horn too much. And so one like side benefit of selling other people's stuff is you can brag on them all day without mm-hmm. having a humility issue. I kind of forgot that. That was really big. Like in the beginning is I could just, you know, these farms with, who are growing organic produce or raising broilers and I don't want to raise broilers on pasture with our wet slope, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, it's like, in some ways it can be easier to push somebody else's product because there's no like bragging element you have to run into. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, and, and, and it's, it takes it takes time to get like a breeding herd of pigs and go, like all that takes time. That's why people start in the livestock world with broilers so much. They're like the radishes of exactly oh, yes, twenty one days. So <laughs> yeah, so like you know if you're yeah if you have other people's stuff to sell while you're getting your feet under you with production, um, it can just be very good practice for flexing those muscles and making sure you're building that customer base. And then like, boom, when you do have your product, you've already developed these mm-hmm. relationships and developed this customer base and it all, it all can sell. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and Mike, to, to segue into that, you know, a little bit with aggregation, uh, Michael, I think I was listening to one of the podcasts you just put out this past week or something. And you made a comment saying, um, farmers markets have trained farmers to only sell their own product. And yes. People's product. And I, and I think that if there's any like totally negative thing that farmers markets have done for our business, it is, it is that mindset. And, and I, and I think it's a real shame because, you know, imagine walking into a Walmart or, you know, Kroger, <laughs> and yeah. tell them, you can only, you can only sell your own uh, house labeled product. I mean, they're going to think you're crazy, you know? And I, I really think that working with other farms is going to be the, the future. I mean, we got it. We got distribution issues, logistical issues, storage issues, retail sales issues, how to get it to the customer issues. And so, I, I mean, to form a network uh, of other farmers, I mean, it's almost like creating a separate economy in a way. I mean, um, it's, it's unbelievable. It's got a lot of potential. It's very potent. And uh-huh. I think it's the future of, um, of the local farming scene for sure. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. And again, there are those people like us who love that retail customer aspect and those farmers that don't, and it allows those farmers to do what they want to do and sell us those to us at a reduced price and let them get paid well for what they do. And then us to take the, the cut and put the retail on the side of it. So, totally. and you know, when we're dealing with other farms too, we don't like, I mean, and we tell them, look, we got to add a margin on too. Yeah. So, but we're not browbeating them for a price. I mean, they, if they give us a price, we put our margin on it. We'll try to sell it. If it sells, it's a win-win, right? And if we don't mm-hmm. sell it, we may come back to them and said, hey, you know, the, maybe we need to change the price point. But, but we've the, never but really we've had never, to do that. Yeah. And so it's really, they're getting what they want and we're getting what we want. And it's a, it's a really cool thing. To yeah. They out. tell us the price. We had the margin. That's it. Um, gotcha. And really, some, like early on when we started doing this, some of our staff at the shop would get hung up on like, oh, this customer mostly ordered produce and not much of your product, you know, and I'm like, I don't care. The margin is the same. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, because we have our hourly labor rate worked into the cost, you know, that we figure out, but the profit margin is the same essentially okay. there's maybe some like extra wiggle room worked into our products of like what if the mortalities on this yeah. chicks is higher or what if you know these little contingencies or what if like our feed price goes up or something but for the most part it's the same margin that we add um on our own products as the other ones and the difference is just that we get when we sell something we get paid for our labor to produce that product at the same time yeah we're cash flowing more internally on our own products yeah for sure so Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about team. So you've got obviously on farm team and you've got the store team, very different people. I'm sure you're hiring for both places. Uh, what would you say is the ideal person for your store? So before I answer that, um, I'll, this triggered me to remember that the other thing we talked about doing differently is building a team earlier. Mm. Like, try, I mean, it's of course challenging, 
to have the cash flow to support a larger payroll. But yes. Um, and I think you also kind of meant the team being the external team of working with other farms earlier, but yes, not going it alone. Um, so for the shop, <laughs> I have had, like I do all the hiring for the shop. And one thing that I've learned recently is like for the foreseeable future, like I'm going to be the manager in one way, shape or form. Like I need a job. <laughs> like we're not to the scale where I'm like doing something else or I'm able to do everything from home or whatever. So I have to find people that are okay with like the bulk of their job being packed mm-hmm. up and answering the phone. Like sometimes the true believers that like, you know, talk about like helping our business grow and like being a manager and stuff are actually not the right fit because I can't really promise them that anytime soon. You know, so one like really funny example is um, because when I put out a a store associate position, um, it still involves like some gardening stuff and loading people with the forklift for soil, like depending on the time of year and like the economy, I'll get like real estate agents and like master's degrees and like, you know, I'm like, uh, I only can pay, you know, X amount. Yeah. Um, but one night early in the, like when everything blew up in the pandemic, this before we got the egg washer sales are like, you know, experiencing that huge initial spike. Yeah. Um, I was like, Grant, like I got back after our delivery hub busiest ever for this particular location. I was like, we have so many eggs to wash. Like I can't, we can't do it tomorrow with mm-hmm. the staff that we have and fulfill the orders that we have. This was before we got the egg washer. Yeah. This was in March and <laughs> we got it in June. Yeah. Um, so it was like nine o'clock at night. He's at the farm. I'm at the store. I'm going to stay at his parents' house, like a mile from the shop that night. So I wasn't like driving back. And he's like, we just need to hire a high school, high schooler, like just to wash eggs. Like, you know, cause our staff was doing it in the downtime between packing orders and everything. And yeah. I'm like, well, how are you going to find that person? Like, I need someone tomorrow. Like, you know, how are you going to find a high schooler? Well, so in true Grant fashion, like he just goes on Facebook on his personal page. No, I like, said, hey. I said, I'm going to find somebody tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he did, he put it on his, um, you know, his personal Facebook, one of our friends slash customers, um, tagged her babysitter who was a yeah. senior in high school and Grant talked to her and she came the next day. And so initially, um, we just used her for egg washing. Then we had some other staff changes, yeah. things, you know, and so then I started using her to pack orders. She is vegan, but she's not like anti-meat. She just personally is vegan. And like, normally I never would have ha- thought to hire a you know, high schooler who's mm-hmm. vegan, you know, no less to pack yeah. meat orders, but she was like, you know, attention to detail focused, like no baggage. She's not like, you know, trying to make this a huge part of her identity and her career, you know, she's just there to work and then she leaves it at work and done. And so that taught me something about like, sometimes you just need to be super blunt and like, and, and so that was a fluke. And like, if I had interviewed her through the normal process, I probably wouldn't have hired, I don't know. Um, yeah. But it, it definitely taught me something about like, you know, we need just like people to march and do their, take their marching orders and do it to some degree. And for specialty things, like one of my staffers is on commission with the delivery hubs. Um, so we currently are paying people more than we ever have. And I have somebody else who, works as a clerk, but also has her website rate to help us with the website. So in some ways, you know, we're specializing, finding ways to have people that like fulfill their strengths. 
Um, but in other ways, it's like, I need those people. And then below them layered onto them, I need the order packers and I need to be crystal clear that like you're an order packer. And of course we would be stupid if you are increasing a sales exponentially, not to like find ways for you to grow within our company. But the reality is, is if you do that and move up, I'm still going to have to hire an order packer. So like, how much does that really help me? You know? So, so that was just like a paradigm shift for me about staffing. And right now we have Ella Rose, the high schooler is in college now, sadly, and she has to be in her bubble, but she comes back on breaks. And like, so she worked for four or five weeks or six weeks or something Uh over Thanksgiving and Christmas because they, you know, they ended the semester earlier because of COVID to not have them returning from travel. So it's like, if I have her for the foreseeable future coming in at times when other people want to take off, like that's still great to me. Um, But yeah, we have three people, three part-time people at the store packing orders, you know, talking to customers, that kind of thing. And then we've got two part-time people at the farm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And definitely different. So far, we haven't really cracked the nut on finding people closer to the farm Mm -hmm. um, because we'll get these people that are interested in farming and, and live in new Orleans. And like, it's the situation we have now works out well. But um, in the past, it's like, they think they don't mind the drive, <laughs> but they, and do. they start to, and it's like this whole thing of like, how do we crack in to people that are closer to us? Mm-hmm. You know, we've called like the ag departments at some, some high schools around us have that. And, you know, just nothing has stuck quite yet, but yeah. 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 So, um, but yeah, yeah, we're real lucky with the folks that are at the farm one, uh, one guy, what he does, he, he works Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday at the farm, and then he stays over like that Monday night and that Thursday night. So that, that way he's taken a, and then we'll, we invite him over for dinner, no pressure if he wants to hang out with us or not. And so we try to make it, um, you know, attractive that way, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and so he enjoys that and, and he's got it and they'll crash and they, uh, you know, travel trailer. So they got their own place, you know, kind of a deal. And then uh, one gal we just hired, she's actually pulling a couple of days at a nearby farm that we're friends with and they're letting her stay in their RV uh, when she's, when she's in that area. So, so that's working out real well. And so I, I see the future of our employment at the farm is that probably it's going to have to have living quarters on it for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be, uh, something that we're going to have to have in, in order to find somebody who is, um, um, is going to consider this like a real job, you know, kind of a thing, real, you know, real dedication for a year or so. And, and that's, and then with that kind of work, I, and then, well, even at the store too, so many people are in transition that are awesome people, but they're in transition. So we'll, we're okay with hiring people for three or six months. And so I, I just asked them to stay, like, we just have a full, very clear expectation on like when that time frame is. So I tell people, um, like the gal that we just hired me, like, I need you through May. Like, uh-huh. I don't care what happens mid-May, if you want to talk about staying or not, but like, I, I need you through mid-May. And that's only going to be like, you know, really like three, three or four months or so of her working for me, which is fine. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's worth it for me to train her and then she'll leave and, you know, we may keep in touch or not, but, but so we, we do ask for short stints on, of commitment. And I think that also helps too, uh, to get people to agree to do these, these kind of, you know, jobs, which are not, not common jobs, you know, we're, what we're doing mm-hmm. is a little weird. Right. And so uh, we need to be flexible, you know, with those people. And then, you know, the other thing that we look for, Michael, is that, you know, if I wanted to work with people that I didn't like, I'd go get a job. 
Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And so, um, so we need to hire people who we enjoy being around. I'm not talking about like going to get beers with them after work or being their best friend or anything mm-hmm. like that. But like people that are like, you know, can chat, can have a conversation that are generally nice people um, that are just kind of in a good mood, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. honest, sincere, you know, the, the basics. Right. And so those are the folks that we need. Uh, and then, and then also they need to play nice in the sandbox, right. They need to, you know, not engage in any, any silly pettiness. And so we'll, mm-hmm. we'll flush that out extremely quick once we start smelling that. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we're looking for. Um, you know, with the folks that, that we're hiring for sure. And at the mm-hmm. shop, it's usually ends up being a year or so that people work for us, mm-hmm. like yeah. for the most part, about a year, year and a half. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, people have a great experience. We stay, I mean, I've got folks that worked for me, you know, when I was in my young twenties and they were teenagers and now they're, they're parents, you know, and yeah. we stay in touch. And so it's, it's always, I, I like, I like our methodology, you know, real well. Um, and then not to say that we've never fired anybody not to say that we've never had a bad experience um, that that does happen every now and then. Uh, but for the most part, those, those strategies have worked for us very well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, let's I, we usually talk about marketing here, but I feel like we've kind of covered that the entire way. So we'll <laughs> kind of like put a pin in that, skip that. Let's talk about new farmers. Cause you've been in business for a while. You haven't been doing this for necessarily super long, but I'm, I know along the way you've seen a lot of people come and go. What do you feel that the biggest mistake beginning farmers make is? Well, you know, since when I opened up the store, just to let everybody know, I wanted to focus on like natural organic gardening and growing vegetables. So in 2003, I was definitely rubbing elbows with people who are doing urban gardens and things of that nature. And so, um, you know, my, my number one observation of that is that um, young farmers tend, well, even older farmers tend to bring they do two things. Uh, they bring a knife to a gunfight and um, they let their ideology, you know, uh, rule their, their goal setting, you know, yeah. what I mean by, you know, knife to a gunfight. Um, you know, I was, I've been having some discussions about shipping, uh, doing the door, you know, the, the drop offs mm-hmm. and then packaging came up and um, a lot of people were telling me, just ask the customer to put ice chest on their front porch and I'm not, I'm not asking a customer to put an ice chest on their front porch. It's not, that's not, you know, Amazon is not going to ask your customer, uh-huh. you uh-huh. know, to do that. And so, you know, when, it's like, you can, you and can. that might be bonus, but like, you gotta, it's your responsibility to right. deliver your and product. So, so, well, my, so I saw that post and you were talking okay. about those freezer containers, uh, yeah. about the, the freezer bags. Yeah. And, and so, it, yeah. And, and so it's like, one one gen- and he has a very good point and i agree with him i hate using plastic like mm-hmm. our garden soil we put our our cubic foot bags go in brand new four mil poly bags and i yeah. hate it. i hate selling them you know but like you know miracle grow is going to sell theirs if i don't sell mine and so it's just the, the the nature of it and so you know i would rather you know the, anyway the gentleman said he didn't like to use a lot of packaging and i totally agree with what he's saying but that would be an example of how can you compete with a, um, um, what's the cow share the, uh, <laughs> Oh, crowd cow how, or how, butcher how, box. Yeah. How can you, how can you compete with a venture capital funded entity like those companies 
and tell and say, I'm going to ask my customer to put an ice chest on the front porch. I, I, I mean, that, that would be like, you're, you're not using all the tools in the toolbox and you're definitely going to be outgunned, you know, in that, in that relationship, in that scenario. And so I, I think that that is, that is a big one. Um, and, and then related to that, like how much do you want to swim upstream <laughs> and what battles do you really want to fight? Like I dislike food, food waste or well, food waste isn't really an issue. We, we don't have much waste at all. Plus we have pigs, <laughs> um, but packaging, like, I don't like packaging either. Like I want to be as low waste, zero waste as possible, but like within reason, you know, your customers that are, that care about that so much are going to, um, probably buy from you in other ways than like the dropping it on their doorstep. But like the soccer mom in the suburb across the lake, like if she's not buying from us now, but the way that I can get her to buy from us is by dropping it in a professional manner on her porch where her stuff isn't defrosting. And it doesn't require her to like, remember as she's running out the door in the morning, put an ice chest out. Like I want that, you know, I'm not, I don't want to let my, my own personal, like, you know, concern about plastic um, to outweigh like our business succeeding <laughs> and moving with the times, you know, and her getting started buying local because we have to realize that, you know, it's one of the things I created a long time ago when I started doing presentations, I created this grid of like the five stages of a customer. And on one side, it's, you know, they're obviously McDonald's for every lunch, you know, it's like my contractor, my, my excavator, they yeah. would uh, be like, oh yeah, we're going to McDonald's down there for lunch. And they're coming yeah. back to the, then come, you know, excavate for our organic vegetable field dichotomy <laughs> and that's fine but if i had you know if i'm going to try to get them to even think about this offering them tomatoes in a way that they're used to buying them is going to be the first step not saying oh you have to do all these things to get my super awesome tomatoes that you know it's just not gonna they're never they're gonna be turned off and they're gonna be like well that guy was crazy <laughs> right. So it, you yeah. look so crazy, I think, especially when you're trying to get reach brand new customers. Totally. You can only swim upstream so much to so pick your battles. Um, yeah, I think that. that yeah, is I mean, I would rather drop off, you know, uh, something that was on somebody's porch that was designed to go, you know, next day FedEx to where it's not going to thaw, thaw out on them. And after they have bought from us and like the product and maybe they reordered, then it's, you give them a call and be like, Hey, would you like to work on reducing your, uh -huh. your, your waste or something to that effect? And then, you know, you can put the ice chest on your front porch, you know, but yeah. But and they, then when, yeah, then when we deliver, we'll just unzip our thing, put your, your product in your ice checks and take our bag right back with us. Right. Yeah. So we're, and that you're right. So upfront is hard to do that, but later on, I think you can start working on that once it becomes a, a recurring customer. That's, that's for sure. So, uh, so, yeah. And then, you know, the other part, um, you know, to go along with, you know, the not bring all the tools to your, you know, the challenge, so to speak, and, and uh, being a little bit too um, ideal, ideology, having a, a too big of an ideology is also lack of communication. I mean, mm. it drives me nuts when we, cause we, cause we're also doing business with the uh, like 20 other farms right now. And, you know, it drives me nuts when they don't communicate with us. Um, and so, you know, texting, you know, we all have our tools, you know, we've all got texting, emailing, phone calls, like there's no excuse not to communicate, um, you know, but farmers are just notorious for being bad communicators and um, you have just got to communicate. Uh, that is an absolute thing. And if you're not a good communicator, you need to find somebody who's going to do the communicating for you because it's not going to work out. And so I, I think those are the, the major things for sure. 
and just like under promise over deliver, <laughs> not the opposite, you know, yeah. there's no better way to lose customers than, you know, blaming the weather. Like we all experienced the freeze last week and everyone understands, but you gotta, you gotta, yeah. you know, you need to tell people in advance, like we're not yeah. going to be delivering because X, Y, Z, whatever. It's all fine, but you need to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you can't expect them to know anything. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. they don't have to, like, it's not their job to, to yeah. remind or anything. Yeah. Talk about the mental game, because obviously as part of this, it's really challenging. I know you talked grant, you know, going back living in your parents' basement or your parents' house. I don't know if it was the basement, but, um, oh, it's in Louisiana, yeah, but the yeah. equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> They do have a house in Alabama too. So he wasn't living with them the whole time, but yeah. still yeah, the, is, the yeah. analogy still <laughs> is apt. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like this is your territory. Uh, uh, so, so my, you want to be, so ask that again, what was the specific question? Yeah. So the specific question is the mental game for the first couple of seasons, you know, making it happen, you know, you're down to the last $10,000 in your, your bank account. I don't know if you ever hit that, but um Oh, we have well below that. Yes. Michael, I, I've been at the point where I put, uh, I filled up half a gas can of gas, you know what I mean? Because I didn't have enough enough cash on me. Yeah, so I, you know, in business, I've, I've been there and done that. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, it, it and to, to be very serious about it, um, it, you do, there's potential of going to very dark places when you start a new business, you know? Oh, yeah. And oh, so, yeah. and I think that, you know, I mentioned that, you know, the, what my opinion is of things are hard are, but having said that, you know, you do, it is like, if you want to mentally challenge yourself in ways that you've never done that before, start a business. And it's, yeah. um, you're looking at a guy who's got a business, decided to start a new business and it has two <laughs> kids and one on the way. So, exactly, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah. And so, you know, you, um, you know, going into businesses is, uh, you know, very difficult, um, you know, Justin Rose, he's got the, the, he's a videographer guy, does yeah. all the farm, you know, he put out a thing recently, like a week ago. And, uh, you know, he said a lot of personal stuff on there and um, what they went through when they were starting up their deal. And, you know, it, it, it really hit home with me. I mean, look, you, 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 uh, you will go through cycles of being depressed. Um, you know, you will ask yourself, um, you know, when you put out your product, why family and friends are not buying from you. Mm. Um, and not only are they not buying from you, but when they do talk to you about buying, they want a discount, mm -hmm. you know, and then, um, and it, it is very difficult. So like the worst of the worst you're dealing with, you know, you're, you, you're, you're having all that negative self-talk and you're telling yourself you're stupid and you made a bad decision. I mean, look, all that stuff happens and yeah. there's, if anybody said that that didn't happen to them, they're they're lying. You know? Yeah, that happened just two weeks ago for us. We were like, I was like, I was like my wife. I'm like, if this doesn't work, I am literally we're gonna sell everything. We're gonna buy an RV and we're gonna move to Alaska or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that you know, and that you know, and and really, you know, what keeps you going is just the you know, you got to make hourly goals, you got to make daily goals, you got to make weekly mm. goals. I mean, that literally is what's gonna get you through. Um, those very, very difficult times. And so it's, uh, cause it's overwhelming, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's such a big task that you can get easily overwhelmed. And, you know, the only thing you could do on a day to by day basis is be like, this is what I'm going to do today. And then uh -huh. you know, this is what I'm gonna do on Monday. And I hope I'm going to live to see Tuesday, <laughs> you, know, that's uh -huh. what, you know, that's what it comes down to. So, yeah. So for people listening, 
um, yeah, you're going to, you're going to go through the worst of the worst mentally, you know, for sure. Uh, you know, but you're going to come out at the other end, you know, you know, stronger as a result. And, you know, your business may fail and that's okay. And you, you know, that's going to, that's going to give you so much information on whatever your next thing is going to be. And that, that, yeah. could be, that could be a job or whatever. I mean, going through it, there's nothing like gaining knowledge, like going through it. I mean, you know, if you want to save money, like if somebody said, Hey, Grant, here's a hundred thousand dollars to get an MBA, or I'm going to give you hundred thousand dollars to go blow on a business idea. I'd rather go blow it on a business idea. Oh gosh. Yes. You know, because you're going to learn just so many things that there's uh -huh. never be able to be taught in the classroom. That's for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, um, we're in the, we're technically an urban farm within city limits. And so we've had to go get two development plans passed all the way through the city. And it's, let's put it this way. It's not my favorite, favorite task during the day to be go back and forth with the city manager about our lighting plan being a half candle off. So. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. And do you feel, Grant, I mean, he is really good at this. I mean, do you just boil it down to like one foot in front of the other? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one foot in front of the other, and um, and and then having surrounding yourself with people that you can call or you know rely upon for advice. And that's one reason why I really like the farming community because I mean, I mean, I've had days to where I'm either texting or calling. You know, we're in Louisiana, so I'm either texting yeah. or calling somebody in North Louisiana. Uh, Oklahoma, you know, uh, Virginia, Arkansas, you know, like we've, we've have all these contacts. All of a sudden I get a text being like, Hey, this has happened to me. Has this ever happened to you? You know, yeah. it's like a pig, like a pig thing. And, um, that is just so cool. I mean, you know, tell me, you know, talk. Well, about the cool thing is that we now have phones that you can FaceTime and say, show a video of exactly what's going on. And they're like, Oh yeah, this is exactly how you do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think you get through those hard times by, um, by having that, that, that team, you know, around you sort of a thing. And for the people who don't have a team around you, when I was going through my hardest time, um, I, I, I personally just use books, you know, reading mm -hmm. certain books were, um, my way of, um, of coping with it. You know, I would, uh, you know, read Dale Carnegie stuff and other uh -huh, evening uh -huh. just to kind of get me enough uh, energy to get up the next morning and get, kind of get through it. And so um, there's all kinds of resources for you to kind of get through that, that really nasty growth cycle. That's for sure. Uh -huh. yeah. I would say too, I think like, obviously having animals, you have no choice, you know, but to take care of them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then as for me, like if we've, as we've gone through like hard patches, having grown to have this steady customer base, you know, it's like, you just have to, you just have to do it. You just have to wash the eggs and deliver them. <laughs> you yeah. just, you know, there's just built in things that force you to keep going. And the more that you go through the motions, then you can get out on the other side and have some perspective on it. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, if you could pick one, what's your favorite farming tool? egg washer. <laughs> That's the most relevant for me. What about you, Grant? Uh, man, I got to tell you, you know, with, with this, this putting in the infrastructure at the farm, man, I love, I love PEX plumbing fixtures. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so you're I, actually using PEX for all your bigger stuff too. Yeah. So, you know, keep in mind, you know, we really don't freeze here. I mean, we yeah. may get a couple of freezing nights. So, you know, we're running just, you know, with the 60 acres now, 
with the rotational grazing. I mean, we want to have plug-in points with water, like mm -hmm. every couple hundred feet, you know what I mean? And so, um, and so we're using three quarter inch poly, you know, you buy them in hundred foot, the black poly you buy them in hundred or 500 foot rolls or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and, but all your, your typical household pecs fitting, you know, it fits to all that stuff. I did and, not realize that. And so, um, you know, like we had, but a, just don't, I mean, people are like, like outraged probably that we don't have to bury our water. Oh yeah. Wow. Some parts of the yeah, country have I, to be like, I, what, like eight feet or I something? I was talking to somebody and they were, they were like getting nauseous about putting water line. I'm like, what's the big deal? And they're like, well, we got to put it eight, eight feet down, you know, boss line. I go, oh my God. Yeah, you're right. You know? Yeah. It's like a whole thing for us. Yeah. Taking basically lay it on top well, and kind of roughly buried eventually yeah but when yeah. you're that far north you should be putting your animals inside during the winter probably yeah, right yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. anyway yeah. um so, so yeah so that i mean and so when a line breaks or something goofy happens or if i just need to plug in and and, and put a t in some somewhere i mean it's not even cutting the water off you know it's just yeah. going, cutting a pipe and putting a fixture on and and then you so i got a i got like a go bag of pex fittings yeah so, I can just grab it and go make a repair or whatever. So I, that, that, that modern plumbing has just been fantastic. And what's the, uh, where do you get those pecs? Do you have a specific online supplier you like to buy them from or? You no, know, all the pec stuff, Lowe's and Home Depot carry them. And that's you the know? best price you found? Well, it's, you know, for, I guess for the way that we buy them, um, they work out. I'm not buying big boxes at a time, but like, if I'm but in, the two, but the pecs itself, we buy from a oh local yeah, so, plumbing, oh yeah, so the, yeah. The, the, the black poly and all that kind of stuff, I buy from a plumbing supply house. Gotcha. Yeah. I, right now, that's something like for the three quarter inch black poly for the municipal pipe, it's like thirty cents. Yeah. Foot, and it's gone up. It used to be like <clears throat> twenty two cents or something like a year ago, but yeah. Um, and then the you know the pecs fittings aren't too bad. So whenever I'm making my routine drops to a hardware store i'm gonna go you know what i'm gonna grab some some tea mm -hmm. some elbows just you know while i'm in there and that's kind of like how i buy that stuff um i find that that pricing i think is comparable for the most part for gotcha for ordering yeah yeah because we're in the vegetable world we're dealing with a lot more water so we're about two inches is what we're dealing with for our pipe yeah, yeah, and that yeah. that gets hard. It's just so hard to work with. I mean, like three quarter inch pipe. I'm like, man, that's just that's fun that to work be, with. Yeah, yeah, and then you know what? And then but the downfall of that, and we you know we're so we're doing pressurized water in the whole farm. Yeah, um, and then we actually have water service there, so which is crazy. Like we're one of the few places that most a bunch of people around right around us have wells, so we were able. It's mm -hmm. like rural water district, oddly. Yeah, it was um, kind of a strange water line that they ran, but um, um, our downfall will be like let's say when we get up to having like thirty finisher, you know, steer. When we move them to a new paddock, we're going to have to have another uh, water trough already filled with water. Uh huh. You know, because our once if we move them and they all go to drink at the same time, and I'm just setting that water trough up, it's not gonna. You know, they're gonna end up fighting over the water and all that kind of stuff. So we are gonna have to, mm -hmm. have, you know, multiple troughs just Planned to be, in just advance. to be pre-filled. Which so yeah, just a little bit thinking ahead. Um, but that's the biggest disadvantage, you know, to what we're doing with that three-quarter inch pipe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you and your work? So our store is Laughing Buddha Nursery, um, and that's on Instagram and Facebook. And then our farm is local cooling farms, like the opposite of global warming. 
So we have separate um, Instagram and Facebook for that. We kind of have like yep. everything going on at the farm and the animals and the behind the scenes and then the products and stuff like that. And then our website is laughingbuddhanursery.com and there's a farm section on there. Awesome. So yeah. Cool. All right. Any final thoughts to wrap us up? No, I think we covered a, a little bit, um, a little bit of everything. Yeah. So I just tell all the other farmers out there, just, uh, just keep doing your thing. Um, keep networking with other farmers and, and, and have some teamwork uh, implemented and um, you're going to be successful. You're going to do it. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and make sure you focus on the business. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. (laughs) Well, thank you two so much. This has been a pleasure and I appreciate your time and I can't wait to air this with the audience. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Michael. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Next week on the podcast, I am interviewing Ed from Sustainable Bioresources, a specialty nursery in Hawaii. And they produce hudia and moringa there. So there's two uh, basically more tropical plants that they're working on doing breeding and trials around the world with. And Ed will share with us all about how they make that work and if moringa is right for you. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.